not sure how many people actually saw that movie. It wasn't a great movie. Um, it has a great line in there from Reminiscence that came out this past year. Uh, the past is, can, can be an all-consuming kind of thing as a voracious appetite. It, there's nothing more addictive than the past uh, for, for several reasons. One is if it was good, you kind of want to go back there and relive it because maybe now isn't as good as the past was. I mean, who wants to go back and relive 2019 and before? I don't know. Just there's some good days back then, it seemed like. Uh, but on the other hand, though, there's also a piece of the past where uh, you want to go back and, and change some things. I mean, if only you could go back and, and do some things differently, if you could just go back and maybe change something. Maybe it was either something you did or maybe something that was done to you. Maybe it was a decision you made or a career path you chose uh, or something that you started then or maybe did one time back then and has now led to an addiction that is really, really hard to shake, and if you could just go back and talk to yourself out of that one dumb decision. Uh, for many of us, the past is why we struggle with issues of depression or lack of self-confidence because of the pain uh, that's brought from our past or the grief from our past. Uh, and all those sort of fall into a category that we typically talk about as regret. Regret is where you want to go back and change the past. One thing I love about how Celebrate Recovery ends, almost go sometimes just so I can recite the serenity prayer which, you know, is about the issue of regret. Accept the things I can't change and change the things I can. Regret is all about trying to go back and change things you cannot change. Uh, it wants to go back into the past and deal with these woulda, coulda, shouldas kind of thing, but you can't go back into that place. And, and part of the frustration of regret is, is you kind of wonder, how could I have made such a dumb decision? That's kind of where that regret goes. Like, how could I have made such a dumb decision back then. That goes hand in hand with the reason why we say hindsight is 2020. And, and the reason why hindsight is 2020 is because, in part, back then you didn't know things that you know now. Uh, there was uncertainty then that you made a decision uh, with all the uncertainty around. And if you'd only knew then what you know now, if you'd only known January of 2020 to buy Zoom <laughs> for around $60 a share, you could have sold that in October for $550 a share. Just do that math real quick. I mean, what if you had just sold your house, bought all the shares you could of Zoom, and sold it in October? Done. I mean, there it is. Life's life over. Uh, if only you had drafted Tom Brady somewhere in the first five rounds. Every single team let him go by for six rounds. Nah? You're a Redskin fan. Of course you wouldn't have drafted him. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't help it. <laughs> you probably would go for Heath Schuler or somebody like that. I don't know. Or a whole string of guys, right? Nah, we don't need them. Anyways, wow. Wow. Okay. Um, for some of you, uh, your regret is going back over. If only I hadn't signed that contract with that company, with that partnership, with that person. Because I didn't know that they were a liar and they'd betray me. I didn't know how life would turn out. But the thing about all those things is you didn't know those things back then. A lot of those things you couldn't have known back then. And so you're judging yourself on a vast decision because of things that you know now. I remember when I made my first stock investment, a very wise and wealthy stock investor was talking to me about it, and I said, wow, if I had only waited to sell it, he goes, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And what I was bemoaning was the fact that I just bought the stock a week earlier, I could have bought it for less, and if I had just held it for a couple weeks afterwards, I could have sold it for more, because like the bottom and the top was here and here. And he said, here's the thing, that's a fallacy. 
Nobody ever buys a stock at their lowest and sells it at their highest. It never happens. He says, in all my years of investing, on occasion, a few times, I've actually bought a stock at the lowest it went. I actually hit it within a dollar of rock bottom or within a few percentage points of rock bottom. And only in a few times in my life I've ever sold a stock right nearer in that kind of crest of the pinnacle. But never have I ever bought one stock where I bought it at its lowest and sold it at its highest. So don't ever buy a stock and compare what could have been because that's a lottery ticket. That's a fallacy. You can't know in the moment what the best decision is sometimes. Sometimes there's just an element of uncertainty. So you can't go back over with hindsight and beat yourself up over not making a wise decision that you just couldn't have known about. The other thing about hindsight, though, that we also fail to consider is temptation's not a factor in hindsight. Like in the moment, temptation's real. When you look back over something, you ask yourself, how could I have been so dumb? Why would I have made such a dumb decision? Because we don't have temptation hindsight. Like nobody after dinner goes back and says, man, I really should have had that apple sundae. No, you don't have any temptation. However, you eat the apple sundae because you're not thinking about anything other than the moment. You don't think about the cost of the apple sundae. You don't think about it. Like, for instance, is there anything more depressing than running on a treadmill and seeing that little thing over on the right-hand side that tells you how many calories you've burned? (laughs) Right? You'll be working up a sweat dying, and it's like, congratulations, you've run or you've worked off 120 calories. That's it? If I'm going to work this hard, that better be like 1,000 calories. Because what's even worse is once you realize how hard you have to run to burn off just 100 calories, then you see some like nasty-tasting health food that says just 100 calories. You're thinking, that's over a mile on the treadmill (laughs) for that, right? But you can't know in the moment the cost because temptation blinds you oftentimes to the cost. And so you make really dumb decisions in the moment. You, you purchase things you should never have purchased because you, you just think to yourself, oh, I can pay for it. You don't realize how much you've already charged in the moment. Uh, you, you'll do dumb things just for a TikTok video, like jump off a roof or something, and this would be really cool. Yeah, you don't think about the fact that it's going to break something, and you're going to be doing rehab, and you're going to be in therapy, and you'll be limping the rest of your life just because you tried to get those extra likes from that dumb video. There's, there's the idea that just one won't hurt, whether it's just one sip, just one look, just one bite, uh, one pill, whatever it may be. Just one is not going to hurt anything. Temptation will tell you those kind of things. And on hindsight, you know just one is a problem. You know just one leads to two. You know one just leads somewhere it shouldn't go. And so in hindsight, you look back and you go, how could I have been so dumb? Well, it's because it's hard to see or understand or feel temptation in hindsight. Other thing is, is sometimes those decisions you made that you regret uh, weren't even really decisions. They were more of reactions. Uh, fear will get you to react more than to decide. And so just in the moment of fear, because you're afraid of, terrified of something that's going to happen, that whether it be perceived or real or imaginary, whatever it might be, you, you do something you never should have done. You look back and, why did I do that? Well, it's because you panicked. You made a really dumb decision because you, you panicked in that, in that moment and you just acted out of fear. Now, if you look at Peter's life, Peter made decisions just in the last 24 hours of Jesus' life that were probably in all of those categories. Temptation, uncertainty, fear. Uh, I mean, just think about for Peter, his last you know, couple hours with Jesus is he's arguing with the disciples about who's the greatest. He then has that moment at the table where he stands up and pronounces, I definitely am the greatest because I'm not going to fall away from you. Jesus says, well, you're going to betray me you know, by tomorrow. He's like, no, never. Then in the garden, Jesus says, can you just stay awake with me? Don't give in the temptation to stay awake with me and pray with me. And he falls asleep. 
Then Jesus gets arrested, and he tries to go attack the guard, and Jesus tells him, nope, that's, that's, nope we were not here to attack the guards. That's not, that's not what we're doing here. So he messes that up. And then after that, he follows Jesus, and he denies that he even knows him. We know one of those was definitely out of fear. He was afraid of a little girl, and so he's out of fear he does it. And then he goes out, and he hears the rooster crow, and he realizes what he's done. Now, you think he was filled with regret as he, as he heard about Jesus dying on the cross, put in the tomb? What was the regret worse? On Friday and Saturday, after Jesus' death, or do you think it was worse Sunday on the resurrection? I mean, you want to talk about should have bought that stock, right? Like, think about the uncertainty of the decision. Now, had Peter known, listen, here's the deal. If you stand by him and they crucify you, you'll raise from the dead with them. Wouldn't that have changed your game plan on day of, right? Would you have been afraid in the moment? Would you have denied? No, not if you knew how it was all going to play out, right? Like, if you had known this was the last night you were going to be with Jesus, wouldn't that have changed whether or not you would have stayed awake in that moment or at least gotten some sleep the day before? You'd have done something differently if you'd just known, right? Uh, so there was uncertainty in there. There was temptation there, whether it be to really show I really am the greatest. Maybe there were some pride issues in there. Um, all those things come into play. And what's comforting is that when you read about the story, many of y'all know, I say this every week, but this truly is. John 21 really is my favorite story. There's a couple of, my favorite verse is Psalm 27, 13, but my favorite story in the Bible is that one from John 21. And that's where Jesus and Peter have this conversation on the beach after this is all played out and Jesus is risen from the dead. And it's not just what Jesus says to him, but it's also what he doesn't say. Now, a lot of other times in the Bible, when the disciples mess up, including Peter, he would say to them things like, what, don't you have any faith? Can I not leave you guys alone for five minutes? And you kind of wonder, why is it Jesus doesn't say that here? He certainly could. It would certainly be warranted, right? Well, all those other times where Jesus says it, it's in the moment. They're not dealing with regret. They just did it. You know, they're in, they're in the boat, and they're freaking out because they think the boat's going to sink, and he's back there sleeping. And he's like, come on, you guys have little faith. Seriously, I just fed 5,000. Now you don't think I'm going to take care of you right here? Come on, what's with you guys, right? He's sort of correcting the moment. Here, though, it's not about correcting the moment. Peter's already dealing with regret. And Jesus doesn't walk up and go, where's your faith? Like, how could you not have done that? Or how do you like me now? I mean, something like there, you would think that he might say something in that moment, like, seriously. But rather, he just... He just Ask him, Peter, you love me though, right? You love me, right? And Peter has this dialogue. I don't want to get too much into it. I've gotten into it in the past. They're having this dialogue where he's saying, you love me. And he's like, well, not like you love me. Not like I thought I loved you, but you know, I do kind of love you, but not in the same way I, I thought I did before. And they go back and forth with that. And Jesus you know, addresses that like, okay, you love me. Let's just start with the baseline that you love me. Um, but I also want you to know nothing's changed about my calling for you either, Peter. Go feed my sheep. I, I told you on the first day, be a fishers of men. He says, you're the same kind of thing. Go feed my sheep. You know, do the same thing. I don't want you out here fishing for fish. That's where he was. When, when I have this conversation in John 21, he's back out fishing for fish. He said, no, no, I've still called you. Just because you messed up doesn't mean I'm done with you. I still love you. You still love me. Now let's go ahead and let's do this. And then he also points him to the future and he says, now listen, you made a mistake. You blew it there, right? If you'd known then what you know now, you'd have gone to the cross with me, right, Peter? Well, yeah, yeah, I would have. He says, here, one day you're going to get a chance to do this again. But Peter, one day you will actually get crucified on my behalf. That will happen. 
Don't worry about it. Don't beat yourself up over this. You'll have another shot at this. Now, the thing about Jesus is, and the thing about God is, nowhere in Scripture do you ever see God point to regret. Nowhere in Scripture do you ever say God ever wanting you to regret anything, which seems kind of odd that God would never want you to regret a past decision. The thing is, though, there's another influence in this world besides God, and that's what pushes you towards regret. You see, what Satan will do is he'll take something that is of God, and he'll just turn it one degree, and it'll sound good, it'll sound righteous, it'll sound holy, so you'll think you're doing something good, but in reality, it leads nowhere other than death and destruction. Regret's one of those things. In Scripture, you see God always pointing towards repentance. Repentance is about looking back over what you did and realizing that was not a good decision, whether it was out of uncertainty, whether it was out of sin and temptation or out of fear, it wasn't the right thing. And the next time I'm in that situation, I'm gonna do something differently. That's what repentance is. Repentance is always looking forward to the next decision. Regret, similar, but just one degree off. Regret is about wishing you could go back and make a different decision. Do you see the difference? The next time it comes up, I'll do something different based on what I realize now. Whereas regret says, I just wish I could go back and change what happened. In other words, Satan gets you in this loop where you're wanting to go back and do something you can't possibly do, which is change something in the past. So it's always focused in the past. As long as you're focused in the past, you can't do anything in the present or enjoy the future. Whereas God's always looking to the future. He doesn't say to to Peter, come on, Peter, what should you have done? Come on, man, seriously, you did that to me? No, it's, hey, Peter, you love me? Let's go on. Let's move on. You have another shot at this. Feed my sheep. The next time this comes up, you know the outcome. Do better next time. You, you know you can do this. God's always looking to the future. Never on regret, always on repentance. The next time you have some issue of regret, ask yourself, what is it I need to repent about? In other words, what does it need to be focused on the future about because the past has no hope for me? Uh, if there's anybody who, who has had to learn this the hard way, it's Paul. Paul writes over in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he says that uh, godly sorrow leads to repentance, whereas the worldly sorrow moves towards regret. That's it. You know, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, he says, worldly, or godly sorrow brings repentance, which leads to salvation, and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow, it just brings death. Now, if you ask any psychologist, they'll tell you that. Regret always leads to someplace bad. It always destroys your brain, which I think is why people like religion so much. Because religion says, basically, do this, this, and this to make up for what you've done. It sort of gives you an idea of like, well, you did this, so here's what you can do to make up for it. So some uh, issue of piety or penance you know, allows you to make up for it. Like, if you give enough money, then maybe that'll make up for it. Uh, Warren Buffett famously, after he pledged a billion dollars to charity, he said this. He said, certainly there's more than one way to get to heaven, but this is a great way. <laughs> Translation, I don't know how much it costs, but I think a billion dollars will cover it which sort of looks to the rest of us and go, well, okay, what's option number two? <laughs> well, for some things, money can't buy. MasterCard will tell you that, right? Everything else is MasterCard. Well, it won't buy love, won't buy happiness, and definitely won't buy forgiveness. I mean, you can't look to somebody and be like, well, I'm sorry for what I did. How much can I pay you for it? For some of them, they look to doing good deeds, whether it be serving the homeless or even serving at church. Like the whole series, My Name is Earl, was based on this, right? He's looking to go do enough good stuff to make up for the bad stuff he did in the past. 
For some people, it's upping their commitments. And maybe for you, 20, you know, your New Year's resolutions in 2022 is all about you upping your commitments to God. God will be at church every single week. Uh, I, I'm going to serve. I'm going to start going to small groups. Silence right now are going about, on, by the way. Uh, I'm going to start going to celebrate recovery. I went this past week, heard an amazing testimony. I'm going to keep going every single week because you're trying to make up for something from the past. Now, certainly those things can help you make better decisions in the future. But if you're only committing to them somehow to try to be good enough to make up for in the past, no, uh-uh. Uh, this whole idea of the good outweighs the bad, like God's keeping up some sort of tally sheet. Paul used to believe that stuff. The very guy who was saying, listen, godly, repent- or godly sorrow brings repentance. It doesn't go to regret. He used to go down this path of trying to make his good outweigh the bad. If you go over to Philippians chapter three, this is exactly what he says. He says, I used to have this mindset. Uh, he says, if somebody else thinks they have any confidence they can put in themselves, well, I've got more. I was circumcised on the eighth day to the people of Israel, to the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews in, regardless, in regard to the law, keeping, I was keeping the law, doing everything that was right. I was a Pharisee. As far as zeal, I was out there persecuting the church. As far as righteousness, based on the law, I was faultless. In other words, what he says, I, and what he's saying is, I jumped through every single religious hoop they put out there. I even jumped through the hoops that I had no control over. I was born into the right family. I was born into the right church. I was, did everything you, they, they asked me to do at church to the point where I was like a leader in church. Everybody looked up to me. Everybody was just in awe of how good I was. I jumped through every single hoop I possibly could. If there was a, a, a way to be good enough, certainly I was at least good enough. And he says, I look back now on all of that stuff, and it was garbage. It was worthless. It, it didn't do anything. Now, in prepping for this message, I went through and just kind of looked up you know, stuff on regret, found a bunch of articles from pop psychology and self-help books. All of them all point back towards this idea of forgiving yourself. You need to forgive yourself for what you've done. You need to forgive yourself for what you've done. And quite honestly, I need more than that. Like, how do I know I'm forgiven? And this is where Paul points to. He says, I couldn't do enough to feel forgiven the only way you can be forgiven is to look to Jesus Christ and say, God, please forgive me. Now, this is what all points back towards the cross. This is where God looks at you and he says, yeah, your past mistakes, I paid for them at the cross. You can't go back and change what you've done, so I'll pay for what you've done. You can't go back and unhit that ball through that window. You just can't do it. I, I, I did that as a kid, actually. The old proverbial, you know, play... At a youth camp, very first day, I don't know why we decided to play baseball. There was like a V-shaped building, right? We thought, oh, this makes a perfect baseball diamond. Well, I shanked off a foul ball on the first pitch, went right through the girl's window. (laughs) And let's just say in South Florida, when it's really hot, it just let all the humidity right in their room. So I was not that, you know, they weren't happy with me. It's like God saying, listen, don't beat yourself up for that. I'm paying for the window. You can't go back and change your past, but I can pay for it. I can make up for what you've done. I lived a sinless life. That's what I've done. I've given you that forgiveness. See, what I love about Paul is Paul would later on say, I was the worst of sinners and I found grace. When he's writing in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 16, 17 or so, he says, listen, I was the worst of all sinners. Like as if Paul's looking at the world saying, what, are you a murderer? So was I. Have you gone out there and said bad things to other people about God? So did I. Are you addicted to some sinful behavior you just can't seem to shake? So was I. He talks about this thorn in the flesh he just can't get rid of, and he prays again and again and again, God, I don't want this, God, I don't want this, God, I don't want this. We don't know whether it was some addictive behavior or some illness, whatever it was. I I tend to think it was some addictive behavior, personally, just because it it just goes right in line with the nature of addiction. God, please take this from me, please take this from me, please take this from me, yet I continue to still have that same craving. God, why won't you take that away from me? 
And what does it do? He says, it just kept me humble before God over and over and over again. Um, have you lived a double life that nobody knows about? So, so did Paul. Paul had all these issues going on. It's as if God's saying, listen, if you don't think that I can use you or forgive you because of what you've done, can I present to you the example of Paul? Nobody has used great, more, uh, greaterly, more mightily, great, what's, what's the superlative there? Nobody's used more in the New Testament than Paul. Yet nobody was worse than Paul with their background. And God's looking at you saying, what is it that you think you can't be forgiven of? So everything about our, our life, he just points back to the cross. Paul summarizes all this up over in Philippians chapter 3, 7 and 9. He kind of says this. He says, listen, all this good I was trying to do to make up for the bad things I've done, I look back now and I realize how ridiculous that was, how worthless all that was. It was absolute, utter garbage. It was a waste of time and energy. The only righteousness we can have comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I'm pouring all my effort and all my energy into that relationship with God now. That's all I care about at this point. That was sort of a paraphrase, by the way, of uh, Philippians chapter 3, uh, 7 to 9. Says all I care about, it's all I'm focused on is that right now. Then he goes on to say, listen, not that I already have this great, perfect relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what I'm focused on trying to get. That's what I'm trying to, to, to put all my effort and all my energy into now. After I always say every single week, this life is about nothing more than a loving relationship with Jesus Christ and enjoy for all eternity. And that's what Paul says. He says, I used to try to do enough good stuff that way in my bed. Now I realize I can't do enough good stuff that way in my bed. I, I'm forgiven because of what Jesus Christ has done. And so what I'm trying to do is just develop a better relationship with him. That's what my focus is on now. I'm not going back trying to regret and try to change all my past decisions. Jesus Christ paid for that at the cross. You know, all this stuff that I keep bringing back up, Psalm 103 says, God remembers your sins no more. God remembers your sins no more. It's, it's like, God, God, are you still mad at me about this? Are you still mad at me about this? And God's like, no, I'm not mad. I don't even think about it anymore. You ever had somebody like that? Like, you're still thinking, like, this is an issue between the two of you. You're still saying you're sorry over it. And they're like, wait, what? What are you mad about? What, 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 do, you, what do you think? I'm, what? No, I'm not mad at you about that. I'm, I'm done with that. I'm, I'm over that. And God says, I remember your sins no more. It's Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed it from us. So Paul says, listen, I, I'm not just focused on this relationship. Not that I've already attained this great relationship. That's what I'm focused on. I'm moving into this. And so he says, this is what I do. I forget what is behind. All that was sin, God forgave it. So forget about it, right? I can't even do a good job on that. That's what he's saying. He's like, I just forget about it. Everything that was sin, God's forgiven me at the cross, so forget about it. If it was sin and it was forgiven for at the cross, forget about it. Forget about it. God says, I have. I don't remember anymore. It's in the past. Yeah, but what about all those dumb decisions I made out of uncertainty or out of fear, those kind of things? All right, it was a bad decision. Can you change it? No. What's done is done. And here's where the issue is. Sometimes we feel, though, but I've blown it. I lost everything that was good in my life. I, I, I threw it all away. I gave it all up. Whether it was out of sin or just a bad decision, it's all gone now. What now? Unlike pop psychology that tells you to look to yourself, the Bible points to two things. One is the cross for your sin, and the second is faith for your future. In dealing with regrets, the Bible points to the cross for your sin, and faith to your future. Now, the faith for the future part is this, is don't ever think what God has done in the past is the only good thing God can ever do in your life. Don't ever think the good that God's done in your past is the only good God can ever do in your life. Job gets to the point, this is now, Job says this after he's watched 10 of his kids die, lost his business, and lost his health. At the end of the, end of the story, he says this, 
I know now that you can do all things, and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. How many times have you said, there's just no way God could ever? Everything I've lost now, there's just no way I'll ever get it back. No purpose of God's can ever be thwarted. There's nothing you can do to mess that up. Of course, the classic verses, Romans 8, 28, God's using all things together for the good. Or we'll look at this later on in this series about Joseph with his brothers. He says, all the things that you meant for evil, God used for good. Maybe some of the things that has been lost in your life and taken from your life had nothing to do with your decision. It was what other people did to you. And here Joseph is looking back and he says, even the stuff you guys did, which was meant for evil, God used that for the good. One of my favorites is Lamentations. Now, Lamentations, a setting of this is, is Jerusalem's being destroyed and all the people are being carried off in captivity, okay? Everything you know, your whole society is being destroyed. Your life and everything you had is gone. You've lost your house. You've lost all your possessions. Everything's in flames, and you're being carried off as a slave. And here's this passage from Lamentations. Maybe some of y'all have heard this passage before. I just want to make sure you know what the context is. This is Lamentations 3, 22 to 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. God never stops loving you. He never gets to the point where he says, oh, that's it, I'm done. I'm out of here. You push it too far. I'll let you into heaven later on, but I'm just sick of you. I don't even want to see you right now. That's not God. His love is steadfast. It doesn't change. We don't, we don't change his attitude towards us. Then he goes on and says, it never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. He never goes, that's it, I'm done blessing you. That's it, I'm, I'm, I'm done. If, you, if that's what you're going to do with my blessings, forget it. I do that as a parent all the time, all the time. Really? That's what you're going to do with the stuff I give you? I'm not giving you anything else. That was it. You're buying the next one. I'm not paying for anything more, right? God says his mercies never come to an end. Whether he says what? They are new every morning. So oftentimes we're chasing our past simply because God was so good in the past, we want to somehow get back to it. This is why I, the very first church I pastored was one of these churches. Oh, back in the 60s, this was an amazing church. What we need to do is everything we did back in the 60s so God will love us again. Mm, no, no, no. That's faith in the past, not faith in God. God's always moving somewhere new. He's doing something new. Things you can't possibly even imagine. He can break that paradigm. Uh, That's why God says, I know the plans I have for you. I know the plans I have for you. You don't know them, I know them. Can you just trust me in this? It takes faith to step into that and say, God, you're leading me somewhere new. So I said my favorite verse is Psalm 27, 13. It ends with, my trust is that I will see the goodness of the Lord once again in my lifetime. That all of the good stuff I experienced in the past, either by my decisions or by other people's decisions or by my own sinful choices, have been lost and destroyed. I'm trusting that I will see God's goodness once again in my lifetime. I'm looking to the future for this. And if you're stuck in the past because you think God can't bless you anymore unless you can somehow recreate your past, or you've got to hold on to that old blessing, God's saying, listen, my mercies are new. I'm moving you into the future. Can you just come with me on this? That's why Paul says, listen, for my past... I trust that God's been forgiven at the cross. For my future, I just want to have a closer relationship with Jesus Christ and become more like him. That's where I'm focused on. So I forget what is behind. I'm straving towards what is ahead. Isaiah looks to the people who are in captivity long after they've been in captivity for a while, and he says, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. I'm doing something new. Can you not perceive it? 
For some of you right now, that's the message you need to hear moving into 2022, is move on from your past. You know, one of the, the passages that always stuck out to me was um, when God talks to, to Samuel, and back in the Old Testament, the very first king they had was a guy named Saul. Saul made a lot of mistakes, messed a lot of stuff up, and it seems like if Samuel kind of always had high hopes for him. Saul, Samuel was the one who God used to anoint him to, to become king. And Saul makes a complete disaster out of everything. And Samuel's kind of moping over the whole thing. He's got a lot of regrets about all of it, frustrated about it, his part in it. Maybe I could have done something better. Maybe I could have coached him better. Samuel even gets frustrated with Saul because he keeps messing up. And he's wondering, you know, maybe God's, you know, moved on from me because of something I've done. And so he's got all these regrets and these gre- he's grieving this whole thing. And God just comes to him and sort of this moment, he like shakes him and says, Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? I've moved on. Will you come with me? I needed to hear that once in my life. I was still grieving over something in the past. And God was saying, Steve, how long are you going to grieve over this? How long are you going to sit there and just, you know, cry over it, worry about it, wish you could recreate it? You know what God does right after that? As soon as Samuel is ready to move on, where does God lead him? To anoint this little shepherd boy that not even his own dad believes in him named David. And David becomes the greatest king in all of Israel a man after God's own heart, a guy with a lot of mess-ups too and a lot of past he had to work through in his life. But God does amazing things through where they go next. But never would have happened if Samuel had just stayed there trying to revive and try to rebuild and try to rekindle that which God's already moved on from. I'm doing something new. Can you not perceive it? God's remedy for your past and regret, the cross for the sin, faith for the future. The cross for your sin, faith for your future. Would you join with me as we close our time out? Father, I thank you, Lord, that you haven't given up on any one of us, that if you can use people like Peter, people like Paul, there's hope for every one of us in this room. So, Father, may we just come before you and just trust in your cross for our past. Father, there are no amount of years that you can't redeem. If Joseph can sit in the prison for 14 years and you still use him to do something amazing, Moses would wander in the wilderness for 40 years before you call him to lead his people out of Egypt. Father, may we trust your cross for our past failures and mistakes. May we put our faith in your future that you have for us. That your love never ends. Your mercies are new every morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.